0: Welcome everyone to the uh, Fashion Corrector Podcast. I'm your host Brandon Hilton. Uh, today we are having a nice little sit down and chat with ALN from Ms. Moore and um, I'm really excited to, uh, to have you here and uh, talk with him for a bit. Um, most people know you from Ms. Moore uh, but you've also been involved in Playing Live with Hell for a long time. Um, that's, I think that's where we met. Yeah. When you guys played it, um, Bottom Lounge, Ms. Moore is kind of known as a project that's been based around your, um, loss of faith, I guess, is the way that I would put it. Right. Um, how does it feel 10 years on to be separated from those moments by that much time? How do you, how do you look back and perceive it now?
1: That's a good question. Um, Yeah, it's been about, I've been doing the project since 2012, so uh, it's been 11 years, 11 and a half years. And over the course of, let's see, seven, eight years of that process, uh, I was slowly uh, going from struggling Christian to atheist. And it took me a long time. Uh, I was very hesitant to really adopt any kind of worldview or claim to have any sort of knowledge or opinion on cosmic uh, theological or ontological matters. Uh, But still, slowly over time, you kind of have to make Judgments, even if subconsciously, to uh, you know uphold some sort of self and belief system that affect your behavior and thoughts and ideas and relationships. And uh, this is something that evolved for me over time. And when I look back on it, I feel I feel really proud of myself honestly um because changing your mind is a really hard thing to do especially when you're in like a faith community and your whole uh world is wrapped up in that your your relationships your community and the way you understand how everything works and it's really difficult to uh come up to the edge of that chasm where you're having those doubts and feel like maybe this is not the way and recognize that and actually change your mind and actually change your life because it's a it's there's a lot of loss involved in that and um i i've come to value over the past 10 years um the scientific method a lot uh, just the core mechanic of uh changing your opinion and changing your mind uh in the face of new evidence instead of like doubling down in spite of new evidence like sort of the core mechanic of faith does and so adopting this principle into my life uh, has has really changed it for the better and I you know ten eleven years ago was a severely depressed person, the most depressed I've been in my life, and I still struggle with depression. But I no longer have, uh, like, this massive amount of cognitive dissonance between what I believe in my head and what I experience in the real world, and how to justify that, and just kind of like pushing my life and and inner life forward. Uh, following that feeling of less decreased cognitive dissonance has ultimately landed me where I am now, which is uh, a place of much less depression and far, far greater fulfillment and, and joy and uh, just ease of, of living. So I'm, I'm really uh, proud of that journey that I've gone on uh, because it was really hard. And I feel like I've gotten a lot of acceptance and, and closure on the matter now and have really evolved as a person. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, there's, <clears throat> there's an element, you know, in Mizmore that a lot of people identify as, as a longing or an emptiness. Um, and for me, that, that longing for 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 a very long time in your music and your work has felt like the same. I I went through basically I won't say the same story, but I, you know I went through the, basically the same arc of being a teenager and um, looking for something to make the world make sense. And my mother had been in what was called a bloodbought church at the time, which is one of those holy roller, fire and brimstone, evangelical old churches, and so it was a big part of our life until i was about 15 or 16 and then um, it kind of didn't work for me anymore and after you move away from that uh community the the feeling you get when you're in a church situation you're in a worship situation there there is it does affect you obviously Um, when you come out of that there's an emptiness there there's there's it's like hammering a piece of bronze on a mold and then you take it off, you know, the mold's not there anymore. What do you fill it up with? And um I feel that in the music that you've put out into the world that that what do I do now that that scream at the universe, especially in in, in Karen, especially the the kind of, you know, well, now I've decided that, you know, I'm I don't believe in God and where do I go from here? Um, can you kind of talk about that feeling a little bit and like, okay, am I correct in in saying that's a part of the creative process for Mizmore? And, you know, if it's there, um, can you talk to it?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, that was a, a, a beautiful analogy with the hammering, the, the metal. I like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the immediate feeling of, of loss of faith is, is definitely is emptiness and and confusion and depression, and for a long time for me, I, I really didn't have anything to replace it with, and I actually was really hesitant, maybe even skeptical, to replace it with anything because I felt like I had just gotten the biggest blow to my, I guess, pride in a sense. Of like this, this is true. This is how the universe works, and then having the rug pulled out from under you and going, "Oh, I, I was totally wrong." So, like, what's, who's to say that I'm not going to be totally wrong uh, with the next thing I think is true? Uh, I don't actually really want to be quick to replace this with anything. What if there's nothing at all that should replace it? and that was an uncomfortable place to be in, but I, I lived there for a while and, um, it, it was, it was just such a gradual process for me. Uh, but yeah, there was, there's definitely longing and yearning in my music, especially in the early stuff where it really was praying to God through my music. And, exploring the idea that there was actually no recipient on the other end of my prayers. And yet still there's this feeling, uh, this longing for, for more. Um, and now I kind of just think that that's just a feeling. Um, but at the time it was like, it, something's just ripped out of, of your soul. And, yeah, it's, uh, you, you, you put it very well. And, uh, it's been, it's been a big inspiration for me over the years. Uh, you, you mentioned Karen with, with that record. That record is actually like, for me, when I think about it, it's like a little piece of victory. It was like the first record I made that was comfortable with calling myself an atheist and kind of a new identity having been formed over the course of the better part of 10 years i never really wanted to adopt any sort of ism uh but i finally just had to accept the fact that this actually is how i feel and think and and that's okay and uh so so Karen feels like this monument of like yeah, like, sure, where, where do we go from here, like you said, but I'm not confused about the fact that I'm putting this behind me and there is somewhere to go from here. And it actually opens up life a lot more. Sure. Um, and there's a newness to that. It's kind of, you know, leaving behind those, those shackles and not choosing to, drag some of those chains behind you holding out some sort of hope or carrying uh an unnecessary amount of that trauma with you anymore when you when you let go of the
0: idea of the salvation and being involved in it you know when it's like um this this is not a thing that's going to save me it actually told me what i need to be saved from and i don't believe that so it, it creates an emptiness afterwards um, you know, I fill it with drugs, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, a lot of people do. Um, you you seem to kind of fill it with music and examined it in a very public way, which to me takes a lot of balls. I mean, it really does for you to be essentially born into the situation. I mean, were your family religious before you were born? Yes. Okay, so to be essentially born into this situation and and then you know. I'm sure it obviously affected your family relationships as well. It takes a lot of balls to do this, not only in a public way, but in a way that like thousands of people have seen, you know, and you've been on a stage. Um, How, you know, how did it affect your relationships around you to essentially come out as an atheist on the public stage as a
1: musician? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely affected my relationships with my family, um, they were so happy when I kind of found Christianity for myself as a 19 year old, um, and kind of changed my life around to really take it seriously. Cause as a young teen, I just, I didn't like expressly think that it was false, but I just didn't really care, you know, like. I was yeah doesn't affect being, me.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was a teenager being forced to go to church and it was like the best part of that was seeing friends, but, you know, like maybe what they're saying is true, but I just have bigger fish, fish to fry. Cause I'm sure. exploring adolescence and whatnot. Uh, but then when I was 19, that's when I like really had a conversion experience. And
0: was it a, a spiritual experience? I mean, what can you, can you tell me a bit about it?
1: Yeah. At the time I felt like it was a spiritual experience, but I definitely have a different way of thinking about it now. Uh, but I was, you know, wandering away from the faith and exploring worldly things, you know, like drugs and sex and, uh, heavy music and whatnot. And I started dating a girl that had a very similar background. Uh, with her family being religious and her being an experimenting teen. And she decided that she wanted to take Christianity seriously. And I felt like that would be a good idea. Uh, And I was open to that suggestion and started... Reading the Bible and going to church because I realized that, you know, I've never actually read the full Bible. And when I go to church, I don't listen all the time. So, like, maybe there is something here and it feels uncomfortable, but I'm going to be open enough to explore it. And I would tell that story as a Christian and say things like, This was. God drawing me to himself, and I did not seek out God, but God sought me out, and I just answered the call, and that's ultimately mysterious, but I'm so glad he did that, and here I am now uh, following following him, uh, and that grew into becoming a seriously devout religious person. Now, when I think about that, I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's obvious to me. I mean, if you're indoctrinated into a faith, statistically, you are far more likely to, for lack of a better term, relapse into that faith again. Um, So I already had that software in, in my brain, and that belief system. And all it took was a person that I was in love with being like, hey, let's do this. Right. And I was like, yeah, okay. okay. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do that with you. I get that. I know how to do that. Uh, my life is feels lost right now. So got nothing to lose. Um, so that's kind of the sort of conversion that, that I had. It felt spiritual and mystical at the time. Uh, now it just seems like, simple cause and effect.
0: Sure. Um, speaking of worldly pleasures, heavier music, how did you end up going from a, uh, church going teenager to listening to heavy metal? I mean, I know there's a lot of Christian artists out there, but I don't know if there's a lot of, you know, death, doom Christian artists out there. I went to Cornerstone for a few years, man. I know like, uh, a whole bunch of christian bands <laughs> um but yeah i mean how did you how did you roll into that like your your musical style is very closely tied to you know black metal doing metal.
1: yeah uh I, i've always liked heavy music i mean when i was a kid uh you know we weren't really allowed to listen to a lot of things but I found Christian heavy bands that I was allowed to listen to. I think one of my first favorite bands was P.O.D. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have death. Yeah. You know, they've got some heavy tunes. And I was a big fan of Zale for a long time. I've seen oh. Zayo like 10 times. I love those. Hell tunes. yeah. That's a great example as yeah. well.
0: Um, Living Sacrifice was big. Um, NIV. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I already I already just I've always liked dark stuff and heavy music and then having that background and then kind of in middle school, high school, I got into classic rock, uh, which, you know, was secular music that I was allowed to listen to and classic rock kind of took me down the path towards Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and then Black Sabbath and At that time, I was uh, in kind of a stoner, rock, doomy kind of band.
0: Is that uh, Sorceress?
1: Sorceress, yeah. And so we were kind of getting into Electric Wizard and Sleep and other kind of stoner, doom things that precipitate from a love for Black Sabbath. And from there, that's when like all the really heavy, dark, evil influences came in finding like burning witch and thou and wolves in the throne room like kind of through the whole southern lord yeah. label um so yeah that's that's a little bit of my background into into heavy music
0: nice the um speaking of heavy music you know the the, the content of the new album prosaic um seems a little more intentionally stripped back and kind of um it sounds focused to me um the, the was the switch from subject matter intentional uh, you, you know you have said that this is this is kind of this is more focused on work and um life I guess um why did you decide to kind of shift the focus of this album
1: Well, I was feeling like I had nothing more to say about this topic of Christianity and atheism. I've come to a conclusion, uh, I've experienced a lot of healing through my music, and I feel pretty comfortable uh, and acceptant of, of... where i've been and where i am now and you know i've kind of like gotten better uh in a lot of ways and i just didn't want to make the same album again i don't feel like i like it's it's done i don't want to beat beat a dead horse if i make am i going to make albums my whole life about this topic like I just don't need to say anything about it right now. And uh, that kind of has freed me up into into thinking about and and writing about other things and kind of continuing exploring this idea uh, like you mentioned on on Karen that's like what's after all of this stuff? Uh, what what remains after? this issue uh is is settled uh because life life goes on um so i really just wanted to to share uh and part of part of the switch too for me was was an approach uh a practical approach to making a record and you know the i was thinking about what i do when i make records and it It often involves like obsessing and losing focus or losing perspective rather. Mm -hmm. And, um, like sweating the details and
0: listening to it a thousand
1: times in a row yeah, on the car stereo and yeah, kind of going down into, into a hole. Uh, and there's definitely some, some needless suffering involved in that process and i i I wanted to make a record uh because that's how i process my my thoughts and feelings uh but i was thinking about that process and just thinking that sounds so shitty i really if that's what making a record is for me like i'm just not i'm not gonna make one right so i started to think about uh other ways to make records and um, that, that's kind of where the idea for prosaic came from is I, I wanted to, as an experiment, see if I could make a record that was less precious to me and uh, less obsessed over, less grandiose and epic. Not a, I didn't want to set out to try to make a masterpiece that just sounded like really self-involved. Uh, arty bullshit to me at the time and I just wanted to make something that was l- less less edited and more from the hip and more transparent and real and just kind of uh, more something that celebrated simplicity Right. Uh, and I wanted to see if I could get to the end of that process and be proud of the work still or if it, obsession needed to be a part of what I do and uh see if i was proud of it see if i wanted to release it but i wanted to go make a record and try to even have fun while doing it and just did you manage to see what that's like yes i did good (laughs) i feel very free and very very proud of the work and you know obsessing over records is makes great records too but i just you make records over and over and over again and you think like I kind of came at it from an angle of self-love of like, well, let's try something different, something that feels better, something that feels fresh and new and, and see, see if you like that. And, uh, you know, uh, that I, I want to keep myself engaged, keep it interesting, uh, to me and satisfy my own curiosities about, about making art. And that's kind of, uh, where, where prosaic came from. Well, I'll tell you,
0: at least from my perspective, that even um, if it's less obsessed over, I'm obsessed with the album. <laughs> so I can't get that that first that first riff and only an expanse at the beginning break into that beat. I just can't get it out of my head. And, and so I come back to the album, and listen listening and listening. Um, it's great. So congratulations. Um, Thank you. So you recorded all this in your home studio, which I'm assuming is where you're at now. Um, has, I mean, that's pretty much been your process before, but is having it in your own space, does it change the way that you work on the music? Does it become more of an isolated thing? Are you in there by yourself all the time?
1: Yeah, I'm in there by myself all the time. And, you know, I am curious in the same line of reasoning. I, I am curious about making a record in a studio with someone else at some point. Um, just because that sounds interesting and different. But the reason that recording myself at my home studio works so well for me is like I do all the instruments and the vocals, so it takes a long time. And time is money. It would be incredibly expensive for me to go to a studio and pay an engineer to record me doing every single instrument piece by piece instead of going in with a live band and knocking out the meat and potatoes in the live room and then doing overdubs, you can knock it out in a weekend, you know, or, or a week. Uh, so it's really practical for me to be able to take my time because I'm the engineer producer and the performer. And that just, that just takes a long time and it's stressful for me to think that I'm on someone else's time and, on some and on someone else's or my own dime related to that time. Yeah. And, you know, that actually might create some interesting results. I, I am curious about what that limitation would do to my music. But uh, the way that Mismore's been so far is like ideas, feelings, ruminations crop up within myself. And need to be expressed and that process starts with writing on my acoustic guitar and sitting alone and and figuring out what this expression should sound like and what the lyrics should be like and then that gets translated into the recording process and yeah it just it's just always been a thing it's like it's like a journal for me so it's always been it's always been personal and it's always taken time uh to get right and also just logistically because i'm wearing all the hats it feels comfortable to be at home by myself doing that uh if
0: i'm correct in remembering uh some the the first mizmore album was was based off of um hymns that you would written right or was it prior
1: to that um yeah the first mismore album is actually it's all written in in the second person you uh Mm -hmm. and they're actually just prayers that i wrote to god they're very dark confused embittered, and sad uh but you know prayers set to music uh is pretty much the definition of a psalm Mm-hmm. which is what mesmore means. So that album was written from the perspective of a still struggling Christian, kind of giving my final attempt and leaving my final prayer at God's feet before I stopped trying.
0: Is is there room in your life for spiritual examination or um, do you feel like you have more determinist outlook on things where that's Not actually there, and we're all just making it up, or do you have somewhere in between?
1: I guess I would first ask what you mean by spiritual.
0: So, um, less religion and more, um, communing with yourself. For me, uh, spirituality is a framework for me personally. I know other people believe in it as a religion. Um, I I treat mine personally as a framework for self improvement. I, I use a lot of chaos magic, I use a lot of, um, you know, small ritual magic throughout the day to kind of connect with myself in a different way. I call that spirituality. Some people might call it mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I say prayers to myself. You know, I, I I commune with my the the unidentifiable part of myself. I call my my spirit. Um, so it's a broad toss. You know, I I personally feel like it's an it's an impetus that. Uh, is is hardwired into the human brain. It's the imagination that creates these things. I don't think that's real, but evolutionarily we have tools to imagine it for a reason. And there's never been a culture in the world that doesn't have religion, music, prayer, all of those things. And I think they're all, You know very centrally connected to finding who you are as a human being which is why i'm doing this podcast right i'm sitting here talking to people that create things for other people to consume with their emotions and to me maybe i have an overly broad examination of it but i feel like that so long as something evokes that feeling in you of wonder or awe or you know um trying something new or seeing the world differently. That's, that's the spirit for me. That's, that's what I commune with. So when I ask that, I don't necessarily mean like, are you going to go back to going to church or anything, but you, you speak a lot about being, you know, there's, there's an isolation to your lyrical content. Um, you live in Oregon. I mean, there's, I like, we were just out in Portland a couple of weeks ago and I like, I want to be there because I love just going out in the woods and not hearing anything. You know that's communing with the spirit for me. And part of the reason I asked you here is to ask you that question. You know, where do you see these things in your life? Do you completely discount, you know, the spiritual or the religious as an atheist, or uh, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting framing. I mean, I'm definitely my my best guess given the current evidence uh, would be that I would call myself uh, a physicalist or a materialist, uh, meaning I think that the universe is made up of physical stuff, atoms and subatomic particles, uh, and that consciousness is likely a, an emergent phenomenon from from this and that there aren't two substances like spirit and and uh matter there's just matter um and you know so despite my, as, language, me, despite my I, language also agree yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so uh, which i kind of i was kind of picking up on that yeah. but uh yeah, so I mean, as long as everything lies within the realm of physics, uh, and determinism, I am open to that. And uh, what what's probably a easier way to get to the heart of your question is, I do practice meditation and mindfulness. Uh, I think that there's value in that, uh, becoming more aware of what consciousness is like uh and becoming less but becoming more aware of what your mind is like too and becoming less like automatically identified with your thoughts and feelings uh, but just noticing them as appearances as they arise in consciousness much like sounds and sights and Temperature and tingling and pressure, and just the raw sensory data. And I think becoming curious about that can lead to profound realizations about the self. Like in a lot of ways that people use that word, I think the self is an illusion. And I don't think there's a thinker of thoughts in your head and a feeling, a feeler of feelings in your body uh you can't really there's no real real line as to where the atoms in the atmosphere stop and the atoms that are part of my body begin and that brings about a real oneness with the universe in a sense uh, and relieves a lot of needless suffering in my experience, because it decreases my ego and helps me get off the ride of reactivity and identification with thought and judgment. Um, I think a lot of people would probably call that spiritual. For me, it still falls into the monism of the one substance being matter. Uh, I don't feel like I'm getting in touch with my spirit, no. uh, but I do think that mindfulness and meditation are profound tools. And I also love going out into nature. Like, like you've said, I live in Oregon. The trees are beautiful. The sounds are nice. The smells are nice. Uh, and it helps my uh my mental well-being to no, to try my best i'm still a, a student and it's hard to do but to try my best at clearly noticing those sensations instead of being distracted by thought in the midst of them because that's where i notice that i really suffer
0: right is is acknowledging those unbidden anxiety thoughts
1: um
0: yeah yeah, that's great um it's you you seem to be very philosophical you know self-analytic um have you always been like that i mean you know that's not normally something people grow into it's it's a lifelong thing
1: yeah i think i've always been like that and i think that's ultimately why i left religion because i'm a critical thinker yeah. you look too hard at it
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> just got it under the microscope and it didn't make sense um do you have an interest in in philosophy uh, or or any kind of you know continental philosophical ideas or anything
1: to an extent I, yeah. i've definitely read my fair share of philosophy books uh and enjoyed a handful of them and I think philosophy can be useful when it's practical but I also think that it can be a bunch of masturbatory mumbo jumbo that doesn't actually matter and so as long as it's uh improving your life and more importantly improving the lives of others around you then get philosophical but if it's just like an empty conversation of entertaining. Maybe, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It it just it just needs to be useful. But I'm definitely interested in philosophy. I find myself to be a a pretty deeply existential person, uh, just naturally the things I think about, and uh, I've become really inspired by uh, some absurdist ideas that they've really inspired my my work as really? well. Like can you speak um, to that a little bit? Yeah, uh like I've been really impacted by Albert Camus. Nice. And um his his work in particular The Myth of Sisyphus uh really helped me put language to what I was feeling and thinking about how the universe is. And so sometimes you find that that book or that that piece of art or that movie or something that just kind of takes the words out of your mouth. And uh, I've definitely experienced that with, with some philosophy before, like like with Camus.
0: Yeah, I just, uh, I finished reading um, The Plague not that long ago. So uh, Camus is great. Uh, I spent a lot of last year trying to bully my way through Foucault. So, um, I'll get there eventually, but again, some of it does get into, like, the navel-gazing territory. I have a friend that's a, <laughs> a philosophy professor at Notre Dame, and sometimes I just I want to grab him and be like, why do your people do this? Like, <laughs> why does it sound like this, man? I can't make sense of it. Um, the, you know, I I ask that because it's still in the framework of that kind of... Uh, the ennui that comes with uh i don't want to say ennui because that makes it sound too um gentle but it comes with a faithless existence um the the thing that it offered me most was being able to let go of that guilt that comes along with doing something as simple as just enjoying yourself you know you get the someone's watching over my shoulder feeling all the time and let me tell you that fucks people up and a lot of the times, like I said, when people walk out into the world, they've replaced that with alcohol or philosophy. <laughs> so you know, um, we're we're in this endless quest for meaning. Um, or you know, eventually finding out that there is no meaning. Um, how do you how do you see yourself moving forward in your life in, in this capacity? I mean, um Yeah, I guess just speak to to how you feel going forward.
1: Yeah, um, I've found things for me in my life that I've ascribed meaning to. I'm not like an all-out nihilist. I think like, you know, probably if you zoom far enough out and you're looking at the universe, like, sure, nothing matters. But when you zoom in and are confronted with the reality of the suffering uh and possible well-being of conscious creatures i think that's kind of the only thing that can matter by by definition um so i've kind of come to the conclusion that you know i care about my well-being and the well-being of others especially those that i love the relationships that i have Uh, They give a lot of meaning to my life and also my work, uh, the music and art that I make pretty much because I've learned uh, from people reporting to me that it is uh, meaningful and impactful to their lives and uh, gives them value and, and improves their lives. That has really propelled me to, do more of this project um so yeah relationships with my loved ones and uh and my my work uh as a means to uh improve my life and those around me uh has those are kind of (laughs) maybe the only two things that matter to me right now um you know whatever works right yeah it it works it works um And so going forward, I mean, I got married in March to my partner of nine. Thank you to my partner of nine years. We're happily married. Uh, We bought our first house two years ago and we live a fairly quiet life with our cats. And I, you know, do Ms. Moore and have my life with her. And I could do that for a really long time. That's a good feeling. Because, you know, like, I think at the bottom of all of our experiences, there's really just consciousness, existence, and no matter what your actual job is or what happens to you throughout your day, everyone wakes up in the morning, puts their feet on the ground, and has to, make sense of their environment and perform tasks and try to sustain this by gaining meaning from it. I think we're all, it's an even playing field, whether you're rich or poor uh, in that specific sense. And that's actually kind of what prosaic is about. So no matter what the specifics are, we have to find meaning from our work and from the monotony and routine of life and even though those can be things that imbue your life with suffering they're the same things that imbue your life with purpose and that's kind of an absurd contradiction that i think we are right to embrace and try to celebrate so There's a uh,
0: a quote. I think it's from Marcus Aurelius that says a stone cannot be polished without friction, and, and I I, apologize, I I I apply that to life as well. You know, you have to be able to survive the the day to day to do anything great. So you know,
1: totally. So the... you know, I I identify a lot with the character of Sisyphus and rolling the boulder up the hill, and imagine that like Camus said, that Sisyphus is happy and that this is enough. Uh, and it's, you know, fucking hard, but every day is the boulder up the hill and uh, that doesn't have to be bad. So when I think about my life in the future, I think about it being very ordinary in the, in a sense, and that that is okay and nice and, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. I feel it though i mean
0: i'm in I'm the same way but you know it's it's scary it's scary because you're so used to being in a position of uh, turmoil you know that when you get to being you know i don't want to say sedentary because that sounds bad but you know when you get into the portion of your life when you feel comfortable and you can examine yourself in a way that you couldn't beforehand boring is okay sometimes yeah <laughs> it's, the, does it, does it, does it mean anything to you? I mean, I guess you've probably had people come up to you after shows and be like, look, I went through the same shit when I was younger. Have you ever had that?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, at almost every show. What does and that mean for you? Like, does it, that... it means a lot. Uh, it was cause for the first four years of the project, uh, it did, we did not play live. Hmm. Uh, so When I finally decided to make it a live band and we played shows, that's when I really got to interface with my fans and supporters and learn that I wasn't alone and that people understood where I was coming from, that it resonated with them, that they've had similar experiences and that my music has helped them. And that was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. That was like, oh my God, what I'm doing is, is valuable to people uh it's bigger than me like it's bigger than christianity it's big it's like this is a big we're talking about bad ideas and how they infiltrate the mind and spread throughout communities and inflict mental disease essentially on on people because they're catchy ideas and that's the that's the big picture that we're talking about freeing yourself from from dogmas and bad ideas that are ingrained in your mind. And, uh, yeah, learning, uh, that, that others understood and, uh, and were helped by me telling my story gave me an immense sense of purpose. And, uh, I, I always appreciate those experiences. Yeah, but it's, it's,
0: you know it's it's good to it's good to know that you're not alone in experiencing this and um i i personally think that you've helped a lot of people kind of put a put a name on this feeling you know because of how how much of what you've presented is felt like a spiritual loss um and that's fantastic and you know, I hope it continues to be nothing but successful um for both of us because I want to hear more music.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Do
0: you have any plans for touring coming up? I don't know. I didn't look. I should know this stuff.
1: We got back from a full U.S. tour in support of Prosaic about six weeks ago. Okay. Sorry and uh we have... A show, our last show of the year is, uh, I mean, this probably won't come out in time, but uh, on just this Friday in two days, we're playing. Oh, a I'll have it out on park. Friday. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're playing at Dante's in Portland for the last time this year, and uh, the the touring plans for next year are still in the works. Cool. Um,
0: yeah, it's like I'm a out of questions. <laughs> um do you have anything else you want to talk about before we go you know do you got anything you want to plug other than the new album uh
1: yeah i guess i'd be remiss if, if i didn't mention uh i i came out with a single this last friday that was a collaborative uh, effort between Mizmore and portugal the man that has an accompanying music video nice. so i would encourage people to check out the song in the video uh it's essentially it's like a remix or cover of one of their songs in my style and the video is was filmed in uh snow-covered alaska did you there's, go up there for that yeah how was that Corpse pain and chain mail and fire oh, yeah. and swords and everything you want out of a it's a really cool video. I ridiculous think. black yeah. metal video. <laughs> I love it. It's just one of those like, oh, he's in the
0: snow. Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got yeah. a sword, even better. <laughs> um yeah. So how how was shooting that video? Because have you ever done a music video? I know you've done some animated stuff, like the the animated video that came out with Wits End, right? Yeah
1: yeah um i did one other video for prosaic the song no place to arrive uh, had a music video that we released in uh, i don't know that came out in may maybe to promote the record that came out in july Um, but shooting this ptm video was extreme i mean i've never subjected my body to it was negative 20 degrees fahrenheit and i was in waist deep snow wearing ice cold chain mail and you could you could literally you could shoot one take and then everyone would have to go run into the house and get by the fire because your fingers and toes were numb already so it was very extreme and there's a scene where i'm like propped up on this impalement mechanism yeah uh in in the snow play, playing guitar Uh, and like, that was a really hard position to be in. And it was like the last take we did. So I was like at wits end already totally frozen and numb. And like, they were trying to get the, it was, it's a black and white video. So it didn't matter what colors things were. So there was like Hershey syrup coming out of my mouth to look like blood. (laughs) So it also tasted like chocolate. And I actually, I actually had a hard time getting through that scene because I couldn't stop laughing because it was so absurd. (laughs) Licking your lips and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Just like my, my view was up into the Alaskan sky with, with a pike coming out of me, trying to remember how to play the guitar chords and, and, lip sync the lyrics and it tasted like chocolate and it was negative 20 and i was like this is actually just hilarious this is cool it's like really uncomfortable but like the only thing i could do is laugh about it
0: in in my head i'm (laughs) just imagining the guys from immortal running through the scene in the background with no shirts on
1: that's exactly it that's the inspiration so
0: out there in the woods like jumping out from behind trees and stuff yeah exactly yes (laughs) (laughs) that's good shit well um you know i'll i'll link to everything you got in the description of the episode um i'm so stoked that you took an hour to sit down and and chat with me about this stuff i really enjoyed our conversation
1: yeah me too thanks so much for having me
0: this has been another episode of the Akashic record podcast wonderful interview today with uh, aon from miss Moore. Uh, Do stop by all the links in the description and check out everything that's going on over there. Remember, sometimes the best revenge is to have a good day anyways.